If we adopt the same collaborative mindset and practices that got to the moon and back, and that built the International Space Station, we can alleviate poverty and do much more. The Interplanetary Podcast. The exploration of space for the benefit of all humankind. Your hosts here in England, Matthew Russell and Chris Carney. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, yeah, baby. Ron Garren. Hey, Ronnie Garren, ladies and gentlemen. What, what, the one Ronnie. A mission specialist on SDS-124. Yes. Where Very he same. build the International Space Station. What a wonderful thing it is. Yeah, and, and he returned on Expedition 27. So he's been up there twice. Oh, uh, the reason why we chose him is because we're going to do a bit of a deep dive onto the International Space Station. What about that, Chris? I love it. It's one of my favourite things off the world. Yeah. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's not even my favourite thing in the world. It's not even in the world. Oh, yes. <laughs> Isn't it mad? Like, it's like, it's, but then it's mad that it's a, it's a thing that will never visit Earth. It, it will always be... Away from Earth, it'll ne- it, when it comes back, obviously it'll be in debris and blah blah blah. But it's in its in its true form. It will never even visit the place that it served so well. Yeah. Well, what's very exciting is very recently one of the f- first major modules of the ISS just burnt up in the atmosphere. So oh. it's like, it, yeah. In in other words, yeah, the the Piers module just yeah. burnt up in the atmosphere, and that's the first time. You know, it's the first major chunk of the International Space Station that's kind of come. You know, that they've deliberately taken off and burnt up in the atmosphere. So it's not. It's not the only think, Piers you know, that I'd like to see burnt up in the atmosphere, Matt. <laughs> ah, yes. Good. Good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, uh, before we start, though, I've got to give a massive shout out to the patrons. Yes, that are the biggest legends of all time. Yeah, but their names are. Justin Roberts from the UK. Justin Young from Tasmania. Drew Wright from Texas. And Sigmund Ede from Norway. Yeah, from where your missus is from. Absolutely. Lovely. Yeah, yeah, one of my fellow countrymen, sort of. An international bunch of patrons. And the rest of the gang, we should read their names out at the end of the show. Yeah. Uh, as promised. So, uh, yes, thank you very much, guys. Absolutely genius. Uh, you help buy things like the RX software that cleans up this mess so that it doesn't sound noisy and stuff. <laughs> Essentials. <laughs> Essential stuff. Essential dings. So, um, yeah, I thought because 2021 is the 50th year of space stations existing. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but what was the first one? First one was Salute 1, but we'll get on to that because it's very interesting. Yes. Salute 1 was the first one back in 1971. Oof. Wow. Amazing. Space stations are as old as Matthew Russell. Mm. Very exciting. So... What is a space station, Chris? Can you would you be able to define a space station? I don't know. I guess uh, because a station is kind of somewhere where things arrive and leave, aren't they? Um, mm. But I guess it's also because it's it, it, it's a permanent thing, isn't it? But I guess nothing is permanent. Yeah, I mean, it's never going to be permanent. Permanent, is it? I no. mean, the, the the length of the universe is really quite huge and i don't suppose it ha- you know in its design parameters it doesn't have to survive things like the sun turning into a red giant yeah and the inevitable heat death <laughs> yeah and etc <laughs> etc et so now I, I i mean i think you could define a space station 
as a place where humans could spend extended periods of time. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll go with yeah. that, definitely. In, in space, yeah. And it, and it doesn't necessarily have sort of propulsion systems to go from one place to another, and it doesn't have landing systems. I think that would kind of, you know, it's not supposed to land back down on Earth. Okay. Yeah, even though the space shuttle went up, and I suppose you could stay in there for a bit, it's not really a space station, is it? No. It's a spacecraft. It's a spacecraft. And we, we've mentioned this a few weeks ago, but there's three different types of space station. What? First, second, and third generation. All right. So your first generation space stations with your early Salyuts and Almazes, which were military versions of the Salyut, or yeah. really, more correctly, Salyut was a civilian version of the Almaz. Uh, Skylab, of course, was the American um, space station. Pre-ISS. Yeah. That was also first generation. And the reason being that you couldn't really resupply it. It's it's got one docking port. That's it. Right. Uh, Second generations, though, have got more than one docking port. So you can can visit it and sort of have things docked to it, et cetera, et cetera. And third generations, you can dock modular pieces to it. So you can kind of build it up like Lego. Yeah. You can like get bigger, mir- like the you mir. can add yeah. and remove, uh, yeah, re- reorganize. I guess M- Mia was the first of those, and really, I'm not going to do a big dive into Mia because w- there's so much to say about Mia that yeah. it would be ridiculous. Um, but Mia was the first, and there's a little bit of controversy actually with Mia when they first started getting on the International Space Station. They, they the call sign was Alpha. Mm. Uh, and the Russians said, well, it's not really Alpha, though, is it, the International Space Station? It's really Beta. Oh. Because it's, it's the second one, yeah. So, <laughs> Deep <laughs> which, which I, Yeah, I mean, I, 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 kind of, I kind of agree with that. I mean, like, the, the International Space Station is very much a continuation of the work that the Russians had done on Mir. Yeah. Mir is the first of the third generation space stations. If the, the International Space Station was spinning or something and was of a completely different design, a fourth generation station, let's say, then fair enough. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I think yeah. That, that maybe the, the Americans should be like, good luck with your beta moon landings, Russia. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. Or, or China. Who's in fact, who is going to have the beat? Who is going to have the beta moon landing? Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, the, um, how many? How many inhabited space stations have there been before the ISS? Do you think? Okay, I'm just like I'm just like looking what what you've got on a little bit of a list there. I'm, I'm going to say there's been six before the space station. Six. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there was nine, nine space stations what? before International Space Station, but only eight ended up being inhabited. Oh, right, okay. But so, well, which is still pretty good. Eight inhabited space stations at some point. So, um, the Russians have absolutely kicked ass on that. By the way, so mm. eight of eight of those nine space stations have been Russian. <laughs> Right. <laughs> and w- one American, which was Skylab, until the International Space Station. So here we go. The Salyut 1, 50 years ago, April the 19th, 1971, Salyut 1 was launched. Guess what rocket it was launched on? This is really interesting. Uh, were, oh, oh, I don't know. Was I, I, I'm going to have to let you, you go with that one. I've got no idea. 
Right. So the Russians, I mean, obviously the most famous is the Soyuz, but they have this, yeah. uh, a rocket called the Proton. Oh. Which looks, which looks really modern. Yeah. Um, but actually it's really old. But the Proton is their kind of, has been their kind of, Really successful heavy lift vehicle, and if you ever want to see spectacular ro- uh, rocket explosions, it tends to be the proton that <laughs> that has them. <laughs> As in, they're pretty scary when they go wrong. But um, yeah, the, the proton actually, the proton K, this was three stage, is also the same rocket that they launched the sort of main module of the ISS. So you know, things don't change very much in in. 50 years. Space. <laughs> I'm just looking at it now. It's a beauty. It is a beauty. Yeah. Yeah. It is a beauty. Yeah. And um, yeah, so Salyut 1 was visited by Soyuz 10 and Soyuz 11. Yeah. So how annoying for, how annoying for the Soyuz 10 crew, because they would have been the first people ever to visit a space station. Yeah. They managed to do a soft dock, but then because they weren't, the, the latches didn't quite work. There was a sort of latching problem. They couldn't quite make the hard dock and so failed to get on board. Oh, no. So, damn. But that was better than the the horribleness that uh, for Soyuz 11. So a Soyuz 11 crew did manage to get on board Salute 1 for 23 days. All right. So they were those three, Georgi Dobrovolsky, Vladislav Volkov, and Viktor Patsayev are the first people ever to sort of spend time on a, on a space station. But mm. probably those names are more familiar with people because they are the only people ever to have died above the Kármán line. Oh, RIP. In other words, big, yeah. So they 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 were they were all asphyxiated when a valve failed to open when they returned to Earth. Awful. And they were all found dead in their capsule. So absolutely horrendous. So yeah, yeah they're the only people to have lost their lives in space. Yeah. But wow. but nothing to do with the actual staying on the space station. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that was weird. That's 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 pretty devastating. It's not really. It's not widely publicised. I guess the Russians have not really been as. I don't know. It's 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 a, it's a thing oh, yeah. less known. I tell you, like yeah. it's 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 less commonly known that there are, there have been deaths in in proper space. Yeah, I wouldn't be at all surprised if the international press did not know about that one at the time and it took mm. some time to come out. Yeah. Um, yeah, Soyuz 1, of course, was the first space station to burn up in the atmosphere as well, October the 11th, 1971. Yeah. So just after just after I was born. Um, Salute 2 was, was a military Almaz station. As I actually said, really, the Salutes, which the, the Salutes were civilianized versions of these Almaz stations. Yeah. Uh, but uh, Salute 2 never got crewed uh, because it, it just failed and burnt up. They lost control of it. Yeah. So that was the one that didn't work. Skylab was then launched. So that is... So America got in second, beta. <laughs> I was just going to say. <laughs> <Beta>. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> And that was occupied for 24 weeks between May 1973 and February 1974. Yeah. So that's an, an operated by three separate three astronaut crews, Skylab 2, Skylab 3, and Skylab 4. So, uh, you know, it was an orbital workshop 
Earth observation and they did lots and lots of experiments on there. So it was, I mean, Skylab, again, not really got much time to sort of do a big dive into Skylab because we want to get on to... Uh, Want to get on to the big guy, International Space Station, Delta. But yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, Skylab was always doomed because it, there was no way to kind of reboost its orbit because the space shuttle was nowhere near finished at that point. Mm. Uh, uh, and so it it basically entered the atmosphere in 1979 and scattered debris all across the Indian Ocean and nearby to Western Australia. The year I was born. We, we, our, our our lives are somehow interwoven they are. in a mysterious in a mysterious way, like the Dharma Initiative. I think so too. The, um, <laughs> with space stations, isn't that weird? Mm. Uh, salute, <laughs> salute three. So that was occupied by Pavel Popovich and Yuri Atyukin uh, on Soyuz fourteen, but again Soyuz fifteen failed to dock. So salute four. Soyuz 17 and Soyuz 18 both made stays at the station. So that was quite successful. Salute 5, 1976, was a military one. So that had Soyuz 21, a couple of people uh, uh, in there, but they but they actually got out in an emergency situation because they thought they were being poisoned. Oof. So they made an so they made an emergency landing. Soyuz 24. 23 actually failed to dock. So it was 24 visited and cleaned the air and did a bunch of experiments. Yeah. And Salute, Salute 5 uh, actually carried the German crystal furnace, which was used for crystal growth experiments. Do you know that poison situation? So, a similar thing happened in ZZ and um, in, in where's the down at where that cathedral is? Salisbury. Salisbury, it? damn it, damn it. Salisbury, yeah. <laughs> Never mind, try, try, uh, oh. it's a punt, it was a punt. <laughs> salute six, now salute six. Yeah. You know we were talking about first generation, second generation, third generation. Yeah. Really, salute six in 1977 was the first second generation space station. Right, okay. Because it had two docking ports which meant you could have two craft visits simultaneously. So one as a lifeboat, one as one sort of coming and going. So it, it really sort of massively opens up what you could do. So going from like these small little visits, a bit like the Changong, the original Changongs had like just people nip up and go in and out and then they would crash them. Um, this, yeah, the, the, this is the first second generation. So you've got 32 people visited uh, there's 10 short-duration crews and six long-duration crews all visited. Yeah. So those long-durations, they stop for 96 days to 185 days. So this is where they're starting to get really long time on board a space station. And I should imagine 185 days on Salute 6 oh, must man. have been brutal. In the 70s. I mean, they, yeah. they only <laughs> sorted the toilets on ISS in 2018. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it would definitely you, you'd have had to have had that kind of Russian grit to yeah. get through it. I think definitely not yeah, many hits on Maslow's hierarchy of <laughs> needs there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, if you're in Russia, you you can skip most of Maslow's <laughs> hierarchy of needs. <laughs> definitely, <laughs> um, like it's just like several of the blocks of the pyramid are replaced just with vodka. <laughs> It's true, though, isn't it? Absolutely right. Yeah, it really is. <laughs> but uh, I've got 
Because Sally 35, which was one of the sort of very long stay ones, um, that was during that was during the, the on 19th of July 1980. So during the Olympics, uh, the 1980 Summer Olympics, um, they um, in Russia, they um, they communicated with the Central Lenin Stadium, and it was it sort of. That's pretty amazing. <laughs> Blasted out into the stadium uh, from the scoreboard. So that's that was a pretty cool coup. Yeah, definitely. That the Russians had right then. So that was, yeah, 1980. Uh, Salute 7, another second generation space st- station, was, again, quite a lot of crews went up, uh, 12 crewed and 15 uncrewed launches between 1982 and 1991. So, you know, that was pretty successful. But... The sort of successors of that, which I suppose you could call Salute 8 or DOS 8, or I think it was something like that, um, is Mia. Yeah. And do you know what the word Mia stands for? No. It literally stands for peace. Ah. Oh. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that I'm amazing? actually wearing my I'm wearing my Mia my Mia space station t shirt. Oh my goodness. Why is this not a visual podcast? I've always thought yeah, this. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I love I love Mia because Mike Fole, of course, a American astronaut who who was born in Britain, yeah, a bit of a Brit. He, he's very famous for being on Mir because he essentially rescued it with quick thinking and and his enormous brain. Yeah, uh, very very funny story. We've we've gone over that on several podcasts. We, we've in, when we interviewed Mike Fole, we went over it, and I went over it on a, another podcast. But it's it's like it's one of my favourite space stories. Fantastic, how he managed to con- managed to gain control after the t- his two Rus- Russian comrades basically <laughs> were practicing docking docking a, a progress module, and it, it basically hit the spacecraft, and it, and it was like, yeah, this is perhaps game over. Mm. <laughs> but it, that had continuous human presence in low Earth orbit for nine years, 357 days, so pretty much a decade Impressive. of uh, continued presence. And, of course, then that they were building – the Russians were building Mir 2. Right. Um, at the same time that NASA were preparing to build the Freedom Space Station. Oh, God. You can see a lot of the – not of the nomenclature of these space stations is showing off about how peaceful you are. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, et cetera, et cetera. But the Americans were building Freedom Space Station. Russians were working on Mir 2. And the Europeans were working on Columbus, the man-tended free flyer. Oh, I didn't know which about was this. supposed to be. Yeah, was supposed to be crewed by sending up Hermes on top of an Ariane five, I believe. So that was that would have com- that would have been a very interesting time in space had that had happened in Europe. In Europe, but it was obviously way too expensive for all three people. Decided, do you know what? What we should do is all club together. Well, because club together. Yeah, because so, this is going to cost a few quid. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So it involves five space agencies: Roscosmos, NASA, JAXA, of course, from Japan, ESA from Europe, and the CSA from Canada. So it's you know it 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 is legally the most complex program in history yeah and it, it's, <laughs> only, it, it's only yeah, it, it's only there's uh, only africa and south america who aren't uh, on it as a continent involved hmm. well i mean they've they've virtually as continents they've all had um they've all had 
astronauts on board. Yeah. So they have been involved with the ISS. Uh, really, I suppose the only place that hasn't been uh, involved uh, at all is China. Mm. Yeah, because they're just not because they're just not allowed to be involved. Right. Sure. Um, yeah. But so, they'll, they'll have the last laugh. Uh, <laughs> oh, please don't say they'll have the last laugh. It's not the best thing in the whole world that they'll have the last laugh. But, <laughs> hey. <laughs> Sorry. So do you want a few facts about the ISS before we move on? Because they're, yeah. they're, all, they're all quite cool. So it's obviously the largest artificial object in space. Yes. Quite considerably one of the largest um objects in space yeah and do you know okay in miles how high do you think it flies um i think it's about 250 miles it is correct and when people are shown uh, if you hold a globe in front of people and you ask them to sort of uh get a model of the international space station and sort of fly it over the earth yeah of course they're wildly out about high up how high up it is yeah like 250 miles, if you think about it in terms of how high that is off the ground, is virtually nothing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> it's not even the distance from my house to where I work, <laughs> which, is, which is insane, isn't it? Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's, it's barely off the surface. And of course, which means that it is, it is experiencing drag. So yeah. how fast do you think you have to go? to uh, maintain orbit at 250 miles high. Oh, well, I do know that it, it I do know it orbits about every 90 minutes. I know that. So, and that's traveling mm-hmm. what's the circumference of the earth? Oh, come on, Chris. You must know that. Um let's see. Per second, meter can I, can I is it about 5 5 meters per second? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 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 well, actually, that's quite a good point because it's ninety-three minutes is an hour and a half, isn't it? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, I guess so. You could work out the circumference of the Earth. It's about seventeen thousand miles an hour Oof. that it has to go. Yeah, so seventeen thousand one hundred thirty miles an hour. Yeah. So it, yeah, that <laughs> the circumference of the Earth by that reckoning is about is about twenty-six thousand miles, isn't it? Sure. Yeah. Yep. I go with that. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, but that's five times faster than Blackbird, the SR seventy one. One of my favourite aircraft. Faster than Concorde. Also, one of my yeah, favourite aircraft. Eight times. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Blackbird and Concorde. Amazing. Don't go, doesn't get much better than that, does it? Nope. That, that, that's as glory as it gets. Yeah. So, there are two sections as well of the space station. There's the Russian orbital segment, or the ROS. And the United States orbital seg- segment, the USOS. So the Russian one is is completely operated by Russia, whereas the USOS is run by the United States and lots of other nations involved in you know sorting it out. Okay, so there's still there's still a little bit of distrust going on over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously they sort of go into each other's bit. I mean, what happened this week, which we'll get onto, is just incredible but it does show that there's a lot of trust between the two parties because it's i mean it sounds like it was almost a catastrophe but we'll we'll get onto it because it, it is for me one of the most kind of exciting things for a long time because it's it just seems so crazy that things like that can happen yeah so as of today the day that the podcast comes out i think it's been continuously occupied for 20 years, 273 days, yeah. so since November 2000. That's about right. 
Um, yeah. How much do you think it's cost? Uh, I added down at 120 billion, but I think maybe my research is a couple of years old. So obviously, is it is it about mm. how much it will cost when it ends? It's a weird one because yeah, I I did a bit of internet scrolling. Yeah, and and uh, so yeah, when it gets to the end, 150 billion dollars, 100 or 100 billion pounds. Yeah, for us for, for us people that used a decent as some form of decent currency. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, assuming that there's been 20,000 person days yeah. of use from 2000 to 2015 by two to six person crews, each person day roughly costs $7.5 million. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That is incredible. And when you... When you when you say like you know like you know you speak to Tim Peak, it's like why do you have to work so hard when you're up there? It's like <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah. And you think he had six months up there? Yeah, that's a lot of millions. Isn't that's it? an incredible amount of money. It's in, that's amazing. Well, I, I, I like those maths. And you said that's a half the cost of Skylab in total. Yeah, so that's half the cost of Skylab. So yeah, Skylab would have been closer to fifteen million dollars per oh, right. person day. Oh, I see. Okay, right. Um, amazing. Wow. Yeah. Crazy so, stuff. Ridiculous. Yeah. So yeah, about two hundred and fifty people from nineteen countries have visited the ISS. That's an incredible of course, lots of people have been more than once yeah. as well. Yeah. So it's quite. When you're trying to find that figure, it's quite hard to find that actual figure. But I think it's about 250, 19 countries. Yeah. Um, the most consecutive days spent on the ISS is joint with Scott Kelly and Mikhail Kornienko, who were both doing that experiment for 340 days. Ooh. I don't get why 340 days. Why not just go the whole year? Well, I thought that about the actual the when we were talking about how long Mir was up there because that was just short. Oh. <laughs> it was just short yeah, of 10 years. It's, it's like, like, come on. <laughs> Do you think there might be other operational reasons Potentially. why they don't go for, for round figures? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I think that must be, that can be the only explanation. Definitely. Like, come on, come on, your time's up. Like, yeah. Now, what legend has had the longest single space flight by a woman? Uh, Obviously, it's our Peggy, isn't it? Yeah, it's old Peggy Whitson, who's also racked up 665 days in space in total. Brilliant. I mean, that's just absolutely nuts. Yeah, absolutely incredible. It's quite a long time. Yeah. Mostly on the ISS, so presumably not all on the ISS. <laughs> um, so the biggest biggest crew that there's ever been is 13 people, and, and, that, and that was in 2009, although it's happened a few times. So that was the first of the big crews. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now... Here's, here's an interesting thing about uh, gravity on the ISS. Okay. That I think most people get this wrong, don't they? Yeah. So how much gravity is there on the ISS, Chris? Uh, well, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's experiencing the Earth's gravity from a distance. So um, a micro amount, a point, a point th 0.3. No, it's experiencing 90% oh, of the Earth's damn it. gravity, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's not that, as we said, it's not that far off the surface. True, true. Really what's happening is that uh, you're in free fall. So that's why it feels like it's weightlessness. Yeah. Right. 
So it's a perceived weightlessness because you're, it's like, it's how you feel if you jump off a diving board. If you had time to think about it, you would feel weightless. Or if you were in an elevator. But you're. And the elevator but, was falling yeah, to the ground. But you're definitely experiencing gravity. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So there's, there's, there's quite a few things that affect that microgravity as well. Yeah. So you've got dr- drag from the atmosphere. So even though it's 250 miles high, there's still some atmosphere up there. So it still gets a little bit of drag. That's amazing. There's vibration and, and from all the sort of mechanical systems and the crew themselves. So that affects the microgravity environment. Uh, there's also things like um, all the time there's little uh, onboard motors and gyroscopes going to keep the position correct. Yeah. So that will, you know, give you feelings of artificial gravity, I suppose, uh, including the thruster firings for attitude and orbital changes. And then there's actually tiny little tidal effects of course, as well, of course, because you've your head is slightly... If you were standing up with your feet at the nadir and your head away from that, then obviously your head is orbiting the Earth at a slightly different height than your feet. <laughs> and so there, are, so there are sort of tidal effects there as well, small forces uh, between all the mechanical parts of the, the space station. It all has to be taken into consideration. That's the amazing bit. thing, is that it's all taken into consideration and it's all carried out so well. So yeah, yeah. It, it's crazy. Yeah. Now here's a, here's a fact that I really couldn't get my head around. So obviously the Russians were thinking of building Mir too. So they'd built Mir, and Mir was up and going. But they started building Mir two in 1985. Right. And actually, they'd actually built Zvezda, 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 which is you know one of the major ISS modules it became the ISS service module they they built that in 1985 <laughs> wow <laughs> so you know that it's that's crazy isn't it yeah it's like it's like having a, like the you know a, a SpaceX a, you know falcon uh, or a, a dragon and it's got a bit of a delorean <laughs> on it <laughs> <laughs> exactly yeah it, that, it it's nuts isn't it um 16 pressurized modules. Can you name some of them? Oh, oof, the different the different ones. Oh, I haven't gotten that. Let me see. Uh is the one called Beam? There is one called Beam. That go. was the inflatable one that, that that was added quite recently. I like the one that's named um, after um after one of my favorite uh, female harmony groups, Destiny. Oh, yes, the Destiny module. Yeah, and there's also a yes. tribe what, called now- Oh, a tribe called Quest. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I just said but what's Harmony. Your, my... There's also one called Harmony. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Let me see. And mm. uh, I've just mentioned Zvezda. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. There's Zarya as well. Zarya, which literally means dawn. Yeah. Or daybreak. That's lovely. Um, yeah, it is beautiful. Uh, Razvet, which I've never heard of. Poisk. Poisk. Module. The Leonardo, named after one of the teen, uh, um, mutant, mutant ninja turtles, it is, isn't it? Yeah. named after one of the mutant turtles. Yeah. Um, uh, you've done. Have you done tranquility? Tranquility. That's a major one, tran- yeah, of course. So that's a little nod, isn't it? That's beautiful. Unity and uh, unity, and of course, everyone's favourite module, because really it does the most amount of outreach. Francis for Francis Ford Coppola. Yeah, <laughs> named after Francis. <laughs> Uh, the cupola, the cupola, uh, cupola. 
So yeah, so and and it's and there's two Japanese modules on there as well. Jim Alps. And then there's the European module, Columbus. Oh, they keep which of course, using this Columbus, you know, over and over. Well, Columbus, yeah, they do actually. But Columbus was obviously the name of the European space station that they were designing and then and that design turned into the Columbus module for the International Space Station. Yeah, so they're just saying, look, we, we were doing this anyway. I mean, the, the funny thing about all the European stuff is that they all basically look like um, washing machine drums, <laughs> yeah. everything that they do. The, <laughs> the ATV looks like a washing machine drum. Columbus looks like a washing machine drum. <laughs> you know, it, it, it just, uh, <laughs> it's like they're really good at building cylinders. Yeah. Yeah, and long may they continue. <laughs> like aluminium cylinders. Yeah. Yeah, they're very good. <laughs> the uh, Italians. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it, it, do you know here's – a, here's a question for you. Go ahead. Do you know why the inclination of the International Space Station is set to 51.6 degrees away from the Earth's equator. So instead of like going around the middle, it sort of goes around a, a jaunty 51.6 degrees. Is it something to do with the Earth's magnetic field? Oh, it's a nice one. Oh. No. Oh. Ah. No, no. Oh, well. No. It was worth a go. It's worth a go. And, it, and it's interesting because it's all about Soyuz. Really? So, uh, uh, and thankfully, they did sort of take, you know, that they kind of did go, yeah, let's take into account Soyuz. Otherwise, there would have been no way of getting there once the space shuttle was retired. Yeah, sure. So, yeah, it's the only, it's the, it's the only way you can get a Russian Soyuz up there and the Progress spacecraft from the Baikonur Cosmodrome because that's at 46 degrees north latitude. Right. And which means, it, and it stops it from flying over China and dropping rocket stages in inhabited areas like the Chinese don't seem to give a shit, shit about it <laughs> and just do anyway. <laughs> and the space station actually was always dropped for the space shuttle, by the way. So they used to drop it down a little bit because the space shuttle was carrying such heavy payloads. Yeah. It was just easier for the space shuttle to get there. But now they've raised – now the space shuttle's retired, they've raised the orbit up again. Yeah. Um, and they don't need – they, they, like, don't, they mod- don't change it at all anymore, really. No. No, no, no. No. So, you know, I was saying it was flying through atmosphere. Yeah. Atmospheric drag reduces the whole altitude by two kilometers a month. Yes. The Vesta service module does most of that kind of uh, compensating for that, yeah. using two engines that are on board that. Visiting spacecraft can help the International Space Station maintain its orbit. Brilliant. But guess how much fuel that takes per year? Right, so give it me in tons and how much that costs. Oh. So maintaining the ISS altitude costs how much per year in fuel? No, it's got to be hundreds of tons, though. Like, you know, it's it's ridiculous because it's Hundreds like, of tons? Yeah, yeah. I hope not. Oh, come on, not hundreds of tons. <laughs> All right, per year, okay. I mean, um, if it was hundreds of tons, they would be they would be flying spaceships up every blooming week to, to carry fuel. You make there. a very good point there, Matthew. I'm going to go with uh, ten tons of fuel. Close, close. See, so, say so I got you down. Seven point five tons of fuel per year. <laughs> that's and, a lot. And less. how much do you think that? How much? That's a lot. That is a lot. Okay. How much do you think that? How much? How much is that at an, as an annual cost? Well, at these prices at the moment, it's ridiculous. <laughs> filled up, <laughs> filled up on the way home from realities yesterday. It was insane. Uh, so I'm going to say uh, a couple hundred mil in in dollars. 
Oh, absolutely spot on. Really? $210 million. Yeah, that's very good. There we go. <laughs> now, even though Zvezdia was built in 1985, yeah. another way that it kind of maintains its position isn't using, like, rocket boosters at all. It's using gyroscopes. Right. So you can use gyroscopes to kind of react, or reaction wheels, as they're often called, to, to help turn the spacecraft, right? So you you store momentum in these things using... So the electricity sort of, uh, sort of spins them up and slows them down, and you can move things around using gyroscopes, particularly in space. And it's a really efficient way of doing it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and and the United States section also has computer controlled gyroscopes. Yeah, right. And and they can use thrusters to sort of um, adjust because sometimes gyroscopes saturate. In other words, once they get to full speed, you, there's not, what what do you do? You you have to use thrusters to sort of um, get out of that situation. So it's called saturation. Yeah. But here's an here's an incident very similar to the incident that happened this week. So in February 2005, Expedition 10, there was an incorrect command sent to the station's computer, um, and it it started some of these uh, engines up on I guess it was the um, on the on the Russian side or no maybe it was Expedition 10 or something. Right. The, 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 it was firing its rockets basically. And no one noticed, uh, but the attitude control computers in the ROS and the and the and the United States section weren't talking to each other, right? So the the Russian sec section was trying to compensate, yeah. But as it compensated, the U United States section was also trying to compensate. So basically, the, the two sides of the space station, these two <laughs> different systems, are in a force fight. Where they're basically um, like com competing against each other, yeah, <laughs> to, to 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 try and adjust the the space station. This sounds like a uh, it definitely so, sounds like an analogy for the Cold War. Literally, like, <laughs> yeah, it does, doesn't it? And so, yeah, so the Russian, so that that that's happened. That's that has happened where it's like they're they're these two. Uh, a, you know, competing systems are competing for for dominance, and no one knows what's going on because, of course, it's just the computers that are doing it in the background. Yeah, you know, spinning up these gyroscopes. Um, but yeah, I think the Russian section now has to ignore the U.S. section when 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 something starts to go wrong. Right. Okay. So they are community. They are uh, collaborating and and working yeah, together on this. Yeah. Type so of thing. so they 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 kind of go. Yeah, we should probably sort this little glitch out. Yeah. Definitely. But, you know. I have found some fun facts. So Okay, yeah, hit me with some fun facts. So the, the ISS is probably one of the only places you can actually have a good sniff of space. So ISS astronauts have described how a metallic ionization-type smell occurs in the area where the pressure between the station and other docking craft is equalised. So in, the, in those pressurisation chambers, you can have a good old sniff. Uh, depending on the time of year, the ISS is the third or second brightest object in the night sky. It's the Moon and Venus tend to have a little bit of a conversation with it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Moon's definitely brighter. I don't know why people include the Moon I know. in that. <laughs> in, in, in that, because it's like including the Sun. <laughs> <I know. laughs> it's like ridiculous. <laughs> but it's still quite impressive that it's a you know a, you know a, an artificial object that's uh, you know just behind the old Moony. Um, Do you know what I, I? I have a sixth sense when it comes to 
seeing the ISS because yeah. it flew over Britain quite recently. There was, you know, it it doesn't. It's not always going over. Yeah, but. The other day, I thought, I wonder if the ISS is around. And I looked up, and there it was, Brilliant. literally flying over. Yeah. And then about two days later, I said to my friend, I said, I was sort of walking down the street in Birmingham. I said, oh, I bet the ISS is going to fly over in a bit. And I looked up, and there it was again. Amazing. I said, there it is, Absolutely says the brilliant. ISS. And, and they were really amazed that there was, like, all these different people up there. Yeah. A Frenchman and a Russian and an American and all that kind of stuff. And it was like, no way. It's incredible. It's like, yeah, look, look, they're, they're literally flying over right now yeah. at 17,000 miles an hour. It's what do you such think? a beautiful sight. No, it blew, it kind of blew their mind a little bit. Uh, yeah. So I do yeah. like going out and seeing I like that as well. It, it We've got, me and my friends have got a bit of a message group. So we're just like, it's due in five, you know, like we can run out if we know it's going to be nice and clear. And especially during lockdown, there's a few times I went over when we were just like, you know, also you'd be sitting there for another 90 minutes and you'd be like, let's watch it again. Which <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> is great, isn't it? But it's, it is a beautiful thing yeah. to, when, you, when you actually tell people as well because they don't think the fact that there's, you know, there are people up there in a permanent outpost in space, you know, it's, it's a fantastic thing. But you know, did you know about the electrical systems on the ISS? You know, do you know where the, the wires... Uh, how how long would you say if you had all the end to end wires? How long do you think it would be, Matt? Oh my God! I mean, I mean, it's ridiculous on a seven four seven. Yeah. So it's got to be totally ridiculous on the ISS. It's actually the loom. That... Go ahead, go for a guess. Go on then. I bet it. I bet it go round the world a couple of times. I wish. I wish you were right. It's actually just under thirteen kilometers of wire for the electrical systems. It's a. Uh, it's Is yeah. It? It's longer oh, than that's the Indian point. That's you disappointed me. I know. I know. I was expecting <laughs> it to be a bit more, but it's a. It's the. It's the. The parameter of New York City Central Park, and then a little bit more. Uh, of why I would think it would have been a bit more, but there you go. But there's only two bathrooms. Um, and so we, as we we all know quite well, the urine of the crew members is filtered back into the station's drinking water supply as it should. But did you know that the laboratory animals' urine is also filtered into the supply? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> oh, genius! Isn't that brilliant? So any laboratory animals oh. up there, you're also drinking their piddle. But you're not really, are you? Drinking drinking fresh water, which has been brilliant. Did, did you? Did you? Did you hear about? Did you hear the interview with uh, that I had? Brittany Zimmerman a few weeks yes, ago, where she yes. she's been de- developing the uh, developing a way of getting getting the water out of poo, yeah. and then using the, the the what's left as a as a as a three D printing material. That is amazing. And that I, that is so I, I good. Know, it's, like I mean, what's what's talk about? It's just crazy. Yeah, talk about resourcefulness because at the at the moment, poo's either sent off to burn off in the atmosphere or returned to Earth to be studied by poo scientists. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh god what do you call a poo scientist is it banjo oh i don't know that's only a joke that me and my brother will understand <laughs> but it's good <laughs> I'll, I'll have to be asking you about that later on because it sounds like it could be x-rated yeah yeah um, it, it's a very good joke but as mentioned before uh, the, the 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 improved the toilets in 2018 at a cost of 23 million dollars uh so probably one of the most expensive toilets off the world um, and so the other one, my last one is that there are currently a hundred baby bobtail squid on the ISS. NASA sent them as hatchlings in June, 2021. Uh, they're not yet old enough to take over control of the space station, but when they do, I for one will welcome our new cephalopod overlords. Oh, it's a pity that they're squids and not octopuses because octopuses 
it, they might actually be intelligent enough to fly the ISS. Yes, yeah, it's possible. Absolutely, but yeah, the squids are a bit damp, a bit dafter, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, squids are definitely daft. It tastes better though. They do like a daft laugh on that, don't they? Yeah, <laughs> they do. <laughs> so, so does does the squid ink? Does do you think that that gets recycled into water as well? I would imagine it does. If they if they are excreting that on the space station, then it's fair game for the drinking water uh, for the animals <laughs> and the, yeah. the the astronauts. And cosmonauts. I do love that. I'd never even thought that the, the mice weeing would get would make its way back into the water. That's really. Cool. I know it was my favourite. My favourite little bit that I found that one. <laughs> when, when do you think the first piece of the ISS was launched? Okay, we're talking about two nineteen. Oh well, hang on. So, hang on. When we're talking complete in two thousand and one. Or 2000, 2001, 2001. 2000, yeah, when people started living So they're throwing the first bit up there. Most of it's made, isn't it? They're not making, you know, they're only connected together up there, so they've got a few. Uh, I don't know, November 1998. Yes, that's spot on. 20th of November 1998 was the Zarya functional cargo block, the FCB, was flown up on a proton rocket, exactly like Salyut 1 30 years before. Brilliant. So, yeah. Uh, and and that provided propulsion, attitude control, comms, electrical power, but no life support systems. So NASA sent up Unity a couple of weeks later on STS-88, and that was attached to Zarya by Jerry Ross and Jim Newman in multiple EVAs. Really long and brutal, but But yeah, how cool is yeah. that? So yeah, Unity and Zarya were joined together. Uh and then 10th of December is, is, is a really historic day. 10th of September, 1998, they actually opened it up for the first time. Right. So Bob Cabana and cosmonaut Sergei Krikalov opened the hatch to the Unity node of the International Space Station. And then they started, you know, unstowing all the gear and turning on the lights. Mm. And then... A little bit later on in the afternoon, Cabana and Krikalov opened the hatch into Zaria, and Jerry Ross and Jim Newman assembled the S-band communication system in Unity, and they started, you know, uh, looking at things like problematic batteries and stuff like and that. And that's a soft and, uh, launch party getting, as well. Getting all ready. Yeah, so, so, so they were the first people to sort of be in the International Space Station. Mm. Do you think they had a little bit um, of a soft launch with, um, you know, a little band playing, a few uh, hors d'oeuvres, that type of thing? Well, it was, yeah, it was definitely a sort of soft launch because no one was in it again until 2000, really. Right. Because Mir, because Mir was still up there. Mir was still up there and being occupied, and that's where everyone's um, sort of attention was at that point, you know, with the space shuttle going up to Mir and, and things like that. So, you know, that, that was still occupied and so the ISS wasn't really manned until 2000 right and it's in 2000 that Zvezda this 1985 built <laughs> hunk was launched into orbit and uh, so that was then sort of joined up and took over all the sort of automated systems and stuff like that yeah and um you know that the docking was done via ground control and the Russian automated rendezvous system. So really sort of cool. Yeah. And that contains the toilet. So the Zvezda has sleeping, toilets, 
kitchens, the CO2 scrubbers, dehumidifier, oxygen generators, exercise equipment, data equipment, voice and TV comms, uh, you know, so basically, this, it's, it's a pretty impressive module <laughs> to get up Do you know there. what I was going uh, to ask, though? Um, I know we had the, the, the date further back on, on Mir uh, being deorbited. Did this, did they oh. overlap? Yeah, so they overlapped. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So I was just, that, that, that was my big question is how long has there actually been permanently a person in space? Yeah, actually, yeah. I, w- I wonder, yeah, when does it go back yeah, to? Yeah, because we know it's obviously been permanently, it's been permanently crewed since 2000, so we're looking at 21 years. But if it overlaps with Mir, then we may have a, a longer time that it's that, that Earth has had somebody permanently in space. Yeah, I think it probably does go back to the, to the, to the, to the, first part of Mia, so probably 1986, 87, something that, like that's that. That's amazing. That, that's something so, like just absolutely incredible. Because yeah. if you think of how, how, yeah, how close 85 is to 69 with the moon landing and everything, yeah, it's just, yeah, pretty amazing stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I wonder if there's any crossover between Salute 7 and Mia. Yeah. Or, and in, if there was any crossover between Salute 6 and Salute 7. So, yeah, yeah it's really interesting. Yeah, so there's... Gonna have to, we're going to have to look that... Um, and if, if, if anyone knows the answer to that question, yeah. how long have we permanently been in space? Or, or when, when's orbit? the last time there was no one in space, I guess. It's probably a good way to say yeah, it. Well, yeah, when was the last time there was no one in space? Yeah. Well, that's a very good show. November 2000, mm-hmm. Expedition 1, arrive on a Soyuz... So that is Bill Shepard, who's only the second ever American to go up on a Soyuz as well. Yuri Gidzenko and good old Sergei K. Krikalov. So they, uh, yes, they spent weeks on board. Yeah. Yeah, it's not all powered up, though, because there wasn't enough electricity because they didn't have all the solar panels yet. Right. But there was lots of space shuttle flights as well going on at the time that were bringing all the bits needed to build the station you know so space shuttles are flying up all the time at this point with bits of truss and all and and solar panels and all things like that you know building the outside you know the the kind of hardware outside of the space station not just these modules that fit together but all the truss and everything to put all the power systems and everything else yeah um so yeah it, it over two years there's more stuff soyuz brings up things like the piers module space shuttle brings up um the destiny the quest uh and things like of course one of the most important things the canadarm oh we love the canadarm canadarm too yeah and lots of this trust stuff but the expansion now what do you think stopped the expansion of the the um the international space station of course it, it the, the design has actually radically changed from what it was originally supposed to look like. Yeah. And one of the big things was was this one incident. What do you think it is? Uh, in 2003. 2000, it's 2003, well, it's a, yeah, it's a Columbia, Columbia, Columbia disaster. Yeah. Yeah. So the space shuttle's grounded for two years until 2005. Yeah. So it's actually, it, yeah, it's it's it, space station construction stops for three years until Atlantis STS-115 uh, takes off in 2006 and carries on going, basically. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, with all these trust segments and solar arrays, et cetera, et cetera, and, and building it up. Then they're able to take things up like once you've got all this power, see, once you've got all this power uh, that you can start you know, taking up some extra cool stuff like the Harmony node, Columbus, yeah. which is the European laboratory, as we just mentioned, and then uh, Kibo, which is the Japanese uh, section that went up in two parts. Um, yeah, and and eventually the Russian Poisk module as well, 2009. Then Tranquility in 2010, which went up with the Cupolo, Cupola, yep. cupola, cupola, <laughs> went up with a cupola. Francis Ford. I can never say Sophia. it. Sophia, and Sophia Cupola. Two, <laughs> Sophia Cupola, and she stayed there for a long time. Yeah. And people keep looking through her windows. Yeah. May 2010 uh, is the penultimate Russian module, the Razvet. Uh, that is a weird one because the uh, US funded the Z- Zarya module to be um, put up. And then the Russians in exchange was uh, delivered on the shuttle, on the space shuttle in exchange. Oh, for well, that. that was nice and friendly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Leonardo, February 2011, that's when that was taken up on Discovery. Then your favourite, the Beam, oh, that was taken up the in 2016. Yeah. yeah. Nanoracks is a is a sort of thing that was added on as well. The Nanoracks Bishop Airlock module that was December twenty twenty, went up on a SpaceX CRS twenty one, and of course most recently and all the drama. Oh yeah, is the Norca is the Norca. What do you think Norca stands oh, for? Oh, I don't know. Uh, need uh, American underarm kangaroos again. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, no, it's it just, just terrible. That wasn't it. It was. It's not not going to work. Go on. What, what's what's Norka? Is science in Russian? Oh, it's not. A, it's not an acronym. <laughs> That's where I was going wrong. <laughs> not an acronym. No, no, it's not an acronym. Sorry. Oh, right. <laughs> Slipping uh, uh, But yes. So Norka docked on this week, 29th of July, on Zvezda's Nadir port. So Nadir is the bit that points to the Earth. Yeah. Uh, replacing the Piers module, yeah, uh, which, as I said, was was taken off and burnt Bent up, up, being the first of the International Space Station bits that has yeah, been. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And and so um, my question is, how big could it be? I, I mean, how how well, many pieces? How how big? I mean, if let's say money was no object, we were talking like. The only object we're talking about here is uh, physical weight and size. Like, how big do you think you could we could make the ISS if it just carried on, just getting bigger? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Well, I, I well, I don't, I don't see why you couldn't just keep building it up and up and up. Yeah. I guess the only reason why you might not be able to is is these sort of tidal forces yeah. and the fact that clearly it's. Clearly, there are sort of weird little quirks like controlling sections of the space station with gyroscopes and thrusters yeah. and that all the computers have to be talking to each other and, and it's quite easy to make a mistake. So obviously, the bigger it gets, the more likely you are to have problems. Yeah, right? sure. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, 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 I don't Let's know. Let's leave it at this it's, now. It's all a Leave bit. it at this. 
And yeah. it had one in, one out, which is what's happened there. You know what I mean? Just <laughs> now, <laughs> just replace one. Can for you one. name? Can you <laughs> can you name all the vehicles that go to the International Space Station? Okay, Soyuz. Um, Soyuz, yeah, correct. Okay, and so then we've got um, Dragons. Dragons, yeah, yeah you got dragons, yeah. um, crew and crew and normals. Yeah, crews and normals. Yep. Uh, Ariane, cargoes. Um, uh, Ar- 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 Ariane, yeah, Ariane, yeah, Ariane Five doesn't obviously do- doesn't go there itself, but it did carry the European ATVs. Ah, okay, yeah. Um, so, of which there was only five, and they, and again, annoyingly, they were sort of named after um, teenage Ninja Turtles, <laughs> like Leonardo and stuff. <laughs> yeah, I love it. No. Um, let's see. Well, I don't know the name of the Japan HTVs. HTVs is the Japanese. Yes, correct? yeah, yeah. ATVs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's the Arabians. I stuff. <laughs> Cygnus. <laughs> Yes, sickness. Oh, yeah, that's another one. Doing all right here. Is that well? Obviously, the, the space shuttle named, used to go named there. after the Rush song. Yes, yeah, space shuttle. Yeah, there we go. And that's 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 about it, really. So yeah, thirty-seven space shuttle missions have gone to the ISS. Amazing. That's a lot of money yeah. just in space shuttles. Seventy-five progress, which of course is the sort of cargo version of Soyuz. Right. Fifty-nine crewed Soyuz. Five European ATVs. Nine HTVs, twenty dragons, yeah. thirteen Cygnus. So you know, it goes to show how quickly SpaceX have become an incredibly important part of the of the international. Without space a station. doubt, when was the first one? When was the when was the was it twenty fourteen or something? They first docked. Sounds about yeah, right. I think if right. that's about right, then that is really really fast progress. Yeah, and there's there's lots of different places they can dock. There's currently eight. Docking ports. Real. Which is pretty cool, isn't it? Eight docking ports on the International Space Station. Yeah. Harmony Forward, Harmony Zenith, which actually has the Crew 2 Dragon Endeavor yeah. attached to it right Amazing. now. The Harmony Nadir. There's the Unity Nadir, the Norka Nadir, the Poisk Zenith, which currently has an MS-17 Progress attached, and Razvet Nadir, which has the Soyuz MS Yuri Gagarin attached at the moment, and the Zvezda Aft. Fantastic. Can, can they and, all be docked at all times? Can they all... Could it be full? You know what I mean? It could be pretty full. I remember... I remember there was a there was a picture of of quite a lot of yeah the the most amount of spacecraft attached at any one time including the space shuttle and there was like two progress three Soyuz and a space shuttle it's, it's, it's crazy like really busy that's so cool um, yeah yeah I wonder I wonder what the record is for the the, the most amount of spacecraft docked yeah. at any one point to the International Space Station um, but of course we've got a new vehicle that's going to attempt it this week oh yeah so. I think it's going to attach to the Harmony Forward port, yeah. and that is the Boeing Starliner. There's a Starliner liner by Boeing trying to go to. <laughs> but of course, the poor old Starliner. Mm. It's it. Well, what's annoying for the poor old Starliner is that it tried, <laughs> it tried to to dock with the international. Sp- it it was it was going to go up the other day. Yeah. But this Norca incident, which I should talk about, yeah. really, is 
Do you, do you want to hear what happened with the Norca yeah. thing? Because this is like literally crazy. So this week, Norca was uh, launched. Now, this is something that was supposed to have launched in 2007. I didn't say 17. I said 2007. <laughs> so it's, a, it's, another, it's another one of these Russian units that's just been knocking about for ages, yeah. waiting to be launched. And in fact, it was waiting around for so long that some of the parts ran out of warranty and oil and, and fuel and everything leaked everywhere and, and all the plumbing had to be replaced and delayed it for ages. Then there was COVID, all these sort of things. So basically just continually an annoyingly delayed Norca, which actually has a knock-on effect for the European robotic arm yeah. as well because that sort of flies up with it. So those these two things have just been in crates for ages. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... It was launched finally on the 21st of July, 2021, yeah. right? But <laughs> it, it, it had all sorts of issues flying itself up to the International Space Station. Loss of telemetry, problems with the main propulsion system. It had to have loads of different correction burns. Uh, and so they were messing around with the piers module as well, when to, when to actually undock it and not undock it. Uh, so eventually they managed to, they, they undocked the, the peers module, but days after it was supposed yeah. to. Uh, and eventually they sort of got it near the International Space Station. But as it was going in, the there's these Toru and Kur systems, which are the docking systems on the Norca. And they had problems locking onto the target. So they had to, uh, Novitsky and Duprov had to... Um, help with the docking of Norka yeah. onto the Zvezda's Nadir port. And that is the first time in 20 years that the Russian segment has been expanded. <laughs> but it was all sorts of problems. And, you know, if, and if that wasn't enough, so a few hours after they docked, uh, while the crew were performing leak checks and, and preparing to open the hatch and stuff, something happened where the boot the um the, the onboard thrusters of the Norca module were basically firing just started firing for no reason <laughs> until they ran out of fuel and that made the whole ISS ro rotate uh, like 45 degrees out of the angle it's supposed to be and they lost communications and stuff like that and you think oh my god that sounds really dangerous yeah. but apparently no one was in danger but that sounds dangerous to me, doesn't does it? It sounds does it a little sound bit slightly precarious. It sounds like this craft is like the drunk uncle of space flight. Oh, God. Uh, and basically, that to wait until the thrusters had run out of fuel. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, but uh, anyway, they, they managed to get the ISS back under control and, and get it back into that. its right position. Yeah. yeah. But that, I, I, you can imagine that that cost quite a bit of money. Yeah. Um, but it did delay Boeing's orbital flight test. Of course, yeah. <laughs> which must have really annoyed everyone. And it, they set up a commission instantly with Bill Nelson in, as the boss and loads of international contractors. And basically what they said was there was a command sent to Norca from the ground that was sent before the Curzon Toru systems had been deactivated. And that's why the thrusters had started firing. <laughs> right. And it's like, oh, God. <laughs> what a so mess. It, there seems to be, it does, yeah, I mean, it, it, it just make you realise that space is dangerous and that the International Space Station could could be destroyed 
by any kind of little remote accident at any time. It's right? so precarious, but I also imagine like that the that you know with this kind of collaboration, the red tape, you know, the admin involved when things like this happen must be absolutely oh, enormous. I'm amazed they ever get anything done. Yeah. So the next thing that they've got is a whole load of spacewalks. Yeah. So even though Norka's docked, it's pretty useless until they actually sort stuff out. The very first thing they've got to do is get the European space arm working. Yeah. It's uh, about time. Like go out. The European space the, the European robotic arm is out there attached to the outside of Norka. Yeah. And it's going to take a spacewalk in September to get it off its external covers and launch restraints and actually get it going basically and and until they've done that they can't do anything else because basically that is going to be the european arm is going to be super important to actually build this multi-purpose laboratory module properly uh and so yeah it that's got to be done and then it's going to take another 10 spacewalks to to basically put all these different bits that are, that are all over the International Space Station. So there's bits for this, like the radiator and stuff like that, that went up like decades ago, yeah. <laughs> ready to be put onto the put onto the onto this um, Norca module, including like spare parts for the European robotic arm have been up there for for about a decade, just in cupboards, <laughs> it's like, it's just just, like, just gathering just in, dust. Well, no, what's this? Weird. Not even, <laughs> not even in cupboards. They're, they're, they're sort of attached to the outside. Yeah. That sort of they're in kind of like these outside bits of the space yeah. station. Yeah, because I guess storage is too is too valuable on the inside. Yeah. So you know, loads of stuff. But like it'd be that like, is, well, what's the, like on the, the astronauts? Like, what's that thing out there? No one knows anymore. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've got literally got no idea. It's basically, you know, when you see people that go on holiday and they put far too many things on their roof mm-hmm. rack. Yeah, I can't help feeling the International Space Station's a bit. Yeah, like that. definitely. I bet there's loads of stuff that just never will be used, isn't it? Yeah, oh God. Yeah. <laughs> now we could we could talk for ages about space debris oh. and the fact that the International Space Station does have to make manoeuvres all the time to avoid space debris. Amazing. And there have been, and there have been times as well where, where they they see, you know, an object that's going to be in the vicinity of the International Space Station. They don't have time to do a manoeuvre, yeah. and everyone has to basically close all the hatches, and then go down to their Soyuz space uh, Soyuz escape craft, the, 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 these lifeboats, get inside and just wait for the debris to go past. Amazing. Um, amazing, yeah. and and that's happened. You know that has happened several times. Yeah. These partial eva- uh, station evacuations. So again, another another you know reason to think that um, you know at, at any point you can lose the International Space Station, and at one hundred and fifty billion dollars, that that that's quite a blow. Yeah, definitely, I mean, and and Isn't also it? just yeah, just the safety of like the uh, the occupants. And I mean, they they would I would imagine they've got a very good system. To go right, no, that's it. It's gonna get. It, this is gonna get hit. We, we, you guys are out of here. They get fired off, and yeah, um, it's it's actually. It's, it's, I keep saying the word precarious, like, but it is just like it's such a delicate situation, isn't it? But so so mm. but so so precious. Know, yeah, I tell you what's weird. Back in December two thousand and nineteen, I was walking to your house. Yes. When when Boeing were attempting their first attempt at launching Starliner, yeah. 
And I remember being at uh, at uh, Clapham Junction, yeah. listening to list, listening <laughs> listening to a YouTube channel with going, "Oh my God, it's all going wrong <laughs> for getting to your house." <laughs> but yeah, that that at, so t- December two thousand and nineteen, they're repeating that test yeah. this week. Yeah. Um, so that that should be really exciting. And SpaceX have moved their Crew Dragon from the Harmony forward port and and moved it to the Harmony Zenith port to make space to make space for the Starliner to arrive. Nice. And let's hope that it does. So that would be something to look out for this week. Um, So that's, yeah. What do you think about the International Space Station, Chris? I think that it is genuinely uh, one of mankind's, people kind's greatest achievements uh, that we should always be proud of. And and, and I just love that it's something that we can see as well. Uh, We can look up and marvel at and, you know, we can look at feeds of of, of the view of, of Earth and stuff like that. But, you know, I think the thing that it's done for us in terms of the, the knowledge that we have of our planet and the fact that we can we we we, we have somebody permanently in space it, it's just it, it it is it mankind's greatest achievement i i don't know possibly mm. yeah i yeah i mean i know that there are some detractors i mean it's a lot of money isn't it seven point you know having a lab that's costing seven and a half million dollars a day yeah. per you know and and but it's work that cannot be done elsewhere presumably you can't you can't see the effects of microgravity on people or on on animals or on plants and things like that unless you actually go and do yeah. it and you can't grow you can't grow proteins and and things like that protein crystals that are completely unique and things like fiber optic cables that are much better than if they're grown in microgravity than if yeah. they're sort of the crystals grown elsewhere so there's loads and loads of research that goes on there and it'd be really really interesting to see what the spin-off is and i should imagine that the spin-off of technology and the spin-off of research and the spin-off in terms of um outreach as well the amount of people that have been inspired by say in, in this country take the people that have been inspired by tim peake going yeah. there and running a marathon there and stuff like yeah. that yeah, it's really hard to put a number on what that that actually will be to the economy. So you you kind of think it, it's bound to be worth it in the end. I think it? so, without a doubt. And even you know, talk about its construction and how many launches there had to be and how much money that had to be spent. I I just don't think there's a there's a concern in terms of how much needs to be spent. Like you said, there's, there's things that we just can't know from down here that will be discovered time and time again up there so and, and it's it's hard yeah. to put a, it's it's hard to quantify it to everyday joe isn't it but it it is so important i mean i bet financially it it easily pays for itself just like a poly yeah, exactly really exactly um be quite nice to build a lego version of the international oh Space Station. now you're talking as you think maybe this podcast might want to do that and send us some photos now, now we're no longer in lockdown. We could have a, a an international space station Lego building yeah. day. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. All, all travel, all travel down to the BIS. Yeah, amazing. And like, like book it out for the day and just build yeah, it. definitely. That'd done. be amazing. So you know, as 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 Leave is the the space station itself, a collaborative effort from all of us to make it. Yeah, I, I expect all the spodcats from Russia, Japan, yeah. <laughs> and Canada. 
and Europe to fly in to London to help me. Wonderful. I, 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 I expect that. And it'd be that. so lovely to see all of them. Oh, yeah, good, big time, big time. I, I want to shout out to the to, to the other spot. Can legends. I help you? You can. Thank you so much to Paul Hilton. Thank you, Bob Hodges. John Benack. Nicholas Gillenstein. Kenton Hokanson. Ronald Hatcher. Marissa Davis. Tristram Hyde. Mark Schwern. Christopher Andreessen. Neil Hansen. Tyrell McAllister. Jean Watchtonic. Rob Annabel. Malta Keisling. Stars Shusha. Jordan El Curdy. Bob Moore. Alden Vala. Adam French. Al Broom. Steve Croucher. Mark Kelly. G- Not sure it's the same one. Oh, the Mark Kelly. No, A. Mark Kelly. Yeah. He's R. Mark Kelly. A. Mark Kelly. <laughs> R. Mark Kelly. <laughs> Jim King. And Jenna Tijuana. Thank you, Spodcats. You are amazing. Oh, my God. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, because it does keep this going. One cannot impress on you just how important that is. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely, Amon. Uh, right. And now, now lockdown is finished. I'm going to try and do some exciting stuff. Okay. And try and get out there. I'll look and, forward and, to and, it. And, and, and do some little site visits. Yeah. From, you know, get some stuff done. Right. Chris, yeah. are you doing anything exciting over the next week? Back to work for me, Matthew. I've had a lovely holiday and now it's getting get me head down, get back in my job. But I'm on Tuesday, I'm going to be in the office for the first time in my new job. I've been in the job for six, seven weeks and I'm going to actually be in the office. So I'm really looking forward to that. Wow. How about yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I've I've been I've been having to commute into work recently, so which has been which has been fun, I suppose, seeing people again. Yeah, and I've got to go do that again this week this weekend. So there we go. It's uh, you know it's what I've got to do. Have a lovely Sometimes time, Matthew. You go about in your do. world. Do what you got to do, but you do it with your fantastic, wonderful curly hair, which. Well, you've got the same curly hair. Well, you know, I, I wasn't fishing for compliments, like, but you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we are the curly twins. Right. Uh, I think I'm going to let the spud cats go. Yeah, let's let them go. Bye, bye, spud cats. Bye, spud cats. Bye, spud cats. Bye, spud cats. Bye, spud cats.